good to be with you this morning. If you're uh, just joining us for our, our first week of six weeks of summer, welcome. My name is Landon, and I'm, I'm thankful to be one of the team members here. If you uh, have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 5. We'll uh, be spending a, our time this morning in Exodus chapter 5. Before that, just two uh, real quick announcements. Next week is the first Sunday of the month, and so for us, that's an important Sunday. It means it's social Sunday. Uh, and the reason we're outside right now is because A, it's beautiful, but B, it's kind of just real. This is what life feels like. Sometimes it's a little bit more windy than you'd like it to be. Sometimes it's a little bit more sunny than you'd like it to be. Or some of you might be cold, or there's bugs crawling around, or people behind me, or all kinds of potential chaos. We want uh, the way that this church functions to look like real life. And so this for six weeks is somewhat of a bridge uh, for us one, to have all three of our gatherings together at once, but also just to demonstrate we're just following Jesus in the everyday stuff of life together. This isn't uh, a game of pretend where we're spiritual for an hour or so a week inside of a box. This is part of our community, the greater Prescott area, and we get to see the buildings and families and kids and cars and sounds. And in the midst of all of that, is where we're called to follow Jesus, not just in that building. And so we're, uh, we're thankful to join you and participate with you in that. And that brings me back to Social Sunday. We need each other as the church to follow Jesus with, to go through the everyday stuff of life. And the best way for that to happen is for you to embrace uh, the task and responsibility of building relationships. I think the best way to do that is meals. And so we encourage you the first Sunday of every month to grab a meal with someone you've never shared a meal with. doesn't have to be weird. Someone maybe you've met, maybe you know their name. Maybe you can't do it next Sunday, but at least schedule it for the future. This is how the church becomes the church, not by attending something, but by participating in life together. So next Sunday, social Sunday, because we love meals, in case you missed it, uh, Robert spent all night, except for one hour of sleep, I think he got, smoking about 200 pounds of pulled pork. We've had about 50 to 60 people helping set this up, and a barbecue. We'll blow up the bounce house here in just a little bit and have a great time together, getting to know each other, getting to be uh, the church together. So we look forward to that in just a few minutes. And with that said, Exodus chapter 5. I'm going to try this instead and see if it works a little bit better. Exodus chapter 5. If you've been with us for the first uh, few weeks of this series, we're looking at the account of Moses. And Moses had a pretty tumultuous upbringing. Before he was even born, the king of the nation he would be born in tried to kill him. And then once he was born, that king, having not been successful the first time, tried again by commanding that all boys two years and under that were uh, of Hebrew descent be thrown viciously and helplessly into the Nile River to drown. And so Moses' mom kind of half obeyed and threw him into a basket that was kind of like an ark into the Nile River. And he floated along this river until it just so happened that Pharaoh's own daughter, the man that was trying to kill him not once but twice, heard the cry and took compassion upon this little boy. And so she brings him into her home, which is in fact the home of this king who had been trying to kill him not once but twice. And he's raised in this home of really his attempted murderer. He grows up in the ways and leadership 
leadership of Egypt, and eventually he sees his own people, the Hebrew people, being oppressed. One day specifically, one of the Egyptian leaders is abusing, oppressing, and beating one Hebrew man. And so Moses intervenes, and in the process of this intervention, he actually kills this Egyptian man. And he thinks that he's done this Hebrew brother a favor, but in fact what happens is everybody turns on him. Now the Hebrew people say, you're not one of us. This was not your place, and they hate him. The Egyptian people say, you've murdered one of us, so you no longer belong, and they hate him. His biological family, his adoptive family despise him. He doesn't belong anywhere, and so he wanders into the desert alone, and eventually, after quite some time, God calls him and says, hey, we're going to go back and do that thing again, but better this time. And Moses is like, okay, God, but no thanks. I think I'm good. I've tried that, and it didn't work out so well. But God persists and and demands this of Moses. He says, this is what we're going to do, and I will be with you, and that will be enough. And so Moses agrees, and that's where we pick up. I want to do something fairly childish really quickly. Ready? We're going to count to 80. You can do it in your head. You can do it out loud. It probably won't make sense to most of you. It'll make sense to some of you, and that's fine. Let's practice this, though. Ready? One, two, three, four. Five. That's all the help you get from me. Keep going to 80. Halfway, keep going. Almost there, you can do it. Kate is leading the way. Congratulations, you can count to 80. That is not impressive, but I'm thankful that we were able to do it. That might seem ridiculous, painful, awkward, stupid. You didn't know why we were doing it. Could have had all kinds of thoughts. Every one of those seconds represented a year in Moses' life to this point in the story. Think about that for a second. Every year, what happens in your life? How many questions do you face? How many moments of of doubt or anger or animosity or longing or wanting or desiring come across in one year? And we just counted 80 seconds. Moses went through a lot in the first 80 years of his life. And at any point in those 80 years, it would have made a whole lot of sense for him to stop putting one foot in front of the other to stop trying, to just give up, to totally isolate. In fact, he tried that a few times. He was kind of done with God and God's plan. But God wouldn't let him in the best of ways. God said, I'm with you, and I'm going to guide you and love you and bring you through everything that I call you to. It's something we can know as we follow Jesus. If Jesus calls us to something, we can know that he will always lead us through it. 
Now, Moses had some temptations, some difficulties through the various moments that were overwhelming to him. There were times that he got caught up in those moments, and he did what uh, a lot of us do. I know I'm guilty of it. I call it he embraced MPT time zone. It's my personal time zone. It was an overwhelming journey, moment, scenario, and all of the other things in life, anything anyone else was going through, anything God had planned, kind of was erased because all he could see was right in front of him, what he was feeling and thinking and facing, and he lost track of what God was doing. I don't know about you, but that happens to me. I can know what God is maybe leading me towards. I can have ideas. I can read the scriptures and see the path that he has ahead or the values in the way of Jesus. And all of a sudden, circumstances can happen and I can lose track of it all. I don't know if that's ever happened to you, but it certainly happened to Moses. Imagine with me for just a moment that there's two brothers and they work for this empire of a corporation. And their father and his father and his father also worked for this corporation. And one of the brothers eventually gets into some trouble, and so he's kind of cast away and has to work remotely until one day this guy named Josh that their father told them about says, hey, you're going to go talk to Pete, the boss, and you're going to tell him what I have to say. And so the two brothers who haven't seen each other in quite some time have both heard from Josh and they get together and they go into Pete the boss's office. And when they arrive, they walk in and Pete the boss looks at the one who's been working remotely because he was cast away. And he says, you have a whole lot of nerve to walk into my office on this day. And that same brother speaks up and says, listen, don't talk. I'm not asking you, I'm telling you. Josh has told us that our entire department is going to go away for three days on a vacation and spend some time with him, and so we're not going to be working. I'm not asking you, I'm telling you. And Pete the boss gets this kind of bewildered look. He's insulted, and he goes, I don't know who Josh is. I don't know what the fill in the blank with whatever word you would like. You're thinking but Josh doesn't matter to me. I don't know anything about him. I don't care what his name is. I don't care what he's done. Sit down, shut up, get to your desk, and get back to work. And by the way, you don't have to produce twice the quantity that you were going to have to do on this day. And if you don't, your entire department will be fired. There's a little bit of a glimpse, or that is a little bit of a glimpse, of what we come across in Exodus chapter 5. I want to read verses 1 and 2. We read this. Later, Moses and Aaron, these two brothers, went in and said to Pharaoh, This is what Yahweh... The God of Israel says, listen to this command, let my people go. They walk into the most powerful man in the entire world at this point in history, and they give him a command. They don't make a request. They command to him what Yahweh says, let my people go so that they may hold a festival for me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh responded, who is Yahweh that I should obey him by letting Israel go? I do not know anything about Yahweh. And besides, I will not let Israel go. He's not genuinely asking who is Yahweh. He's insulting Yahweh. He's saying, who is this? I don't know his name. He's not relevant. He has no history. What has he ever done or produced that I might fear him to the degree that I would allow you, my slaves, to stop working, producing what I want produced? Continue in verse 3. Then they answered. Listen to how out of fear now their tone changes. 
The God of the Hebrews has met with us, they say to Pharaoh. Please. Now they're requesting. They've lost their confidence. Let us go on a three-day trip into the wilderness so that we may sacrifice to Yahweh our God, or else he may strike us with plague or sword. The king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why are you causing the people to neglect their work? Get to your work. Pharaoh also said, look, the people of the land are so numerous, and you would stop them from working? It's thought that at this time in this culture, the Egyptians, as the powerhouse, would give some of their slave groups the opportunity to have days off and to go worship their own gods. But in this moment, this king would not allow the Hebrew people to do so. Why? Not because he didn't believe in their gods, but because of how it was presented. Not as a request, but as a command. What this king cared about was that he was on top of the world, that there was no other god, there was no person named Yahweh that could counter his power. And so a stage has been set, and since there was a command given, Pharaoh now has no option but to set these people straight. Continue to read in verse 6. That same day, Pharaoh commanded the overseers of the people as well as their foremen, Don't continue to supply the people with straw for making bricks as before. They must go and gather straw for themselves, but require the same quota of bricks from them as they were making before. Do not reduce it, for they are slackers. That is why they are crying out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Impose heavier work on the men. Then they will be occupied with it and not pay attention to deceptive words. Pharaoh's a pretty bright guy. He's been trained in how to manage people and slaves and really entire nations. And so he comes up with a a pretty effective plan if Yahweh God was not in the midst of it. He's going to work these people that are making this request so hard. He's going to beat them so badly, cause them this unbelievable exhaustion so that they will not have time or breath to think about revolution. They won't have time or breath to think about freedom. All they're going to want, as they're so tired, is to go back to the amount of work and slave labor that they used to have. And that's what happens. We'll continue to read here. Verse 10. So the overseers and the foremen of the people went out and said to them, This is what Pharaoh says. I am not giving you straw. Everything's getting worse for everybody. Go get straw yourselves, wherever you can find it. But there will be no reduction at all in your workload. So the people scattered throughout the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The overseers insisted, finish your assigned work each day, just as you did when straw was provided. Then the Israelite foremen, whom Pharaoh's slave drivers had set over the people, were beaten and asked, why haven't you finished making your prescribed number of bricks yesterday or today as you did before? So the Israelite foremen went in and cried for help to Pharaoh. Why are you treating your servants this way? No straw has been given to your servants, yet they say to us, make bricks. Look, your servants are being beaten, but it's your own people who are at fault. But Pharaoh said, you are slackers, slackers. That is why you are saying, let us go sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work. No straw will be given to you, but you must produce the same quantity of bricks. Now this entire nation, who some 40 plus years ago were all very angry at Moses, is going to be angry at who, do you think? Why are they having to work harder? Who just came back to town? Moses. 
Verse 19, the Israelite foreman saw that they were in trouble when they were told, you cannot reduce your daily quota of bricks. When they left Pharaoh, they confronted Moses and Aaron, who stood waiting to meet them. They look at Moses and Aaron and they say, may the Lord take note of you and judge, not in a good way. They said to them, because you have made us reek in front of Pharaoh and his officials, putting a sword in their hand to kill us. So Moses went back to the Lord and asked, why have you caused trouble for this people? And why did you ever send me? Ever since I went into Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has caused trouble for this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. Things have only gotten worse. God was supposed to redeem his people. Moses was supposed to be a leader that would rescue them from this slavery and oppression, and that's not at all how it happened. That's where things get interesting, though. If you've been with us from the start of this series, you'll remember that Moses knew this was the plan. God told him, hey, here's what we're going to do. And the very first time you go to Pharaoh, he's not going to let anyone go. He's going to respond very poorly. Moses knew what to expect. God told him this was precisely what was going to happen. But Moses lost sight of that. Why? Because he started functioning in his own time zone, in his own head. The feelings, the emotions, the real uh, abuse and neglect and hardship in his life caused him not to be able to look into the future, not to be able to remember the past and the conversations, the promises God had made, not to take everything he knew into consideration. Instead, he lost sight of that. Feelings were the dominant power. Crisis was all that mattered. And he lost sight of God. As I mentioned earlier, I have a tendency to do that. And I'm assuming you probably do too. When life hits us, when there's a crisis, when there's confusion, when there's emotion, we lose sight of God's promises, his past, and his promises, the future. And we forget what he's capable of. Moses lost perspective. It's really easy for us to read through the book of Exodus, really any part of the scriptures, and kind of mock or blame the people that, that mess everything up. But I think it'd be pretty foolish to armchair quarterback the whole thing, because we do the same. I think, though, there's wisdom to be gained. There's a lot that we can learn from Moses. He made the mistake of operating in his own time zone, forgetting what God was doing and that God's time and ways are different than our time and ways. But we can learn from this. Perspective is the key. Now, I've heard it said for somebody that's never seen the sun, even a stoplight seems really bright. It's perspective. Now, that's not the case at all when compared to the sun, but it's perspective. Growing up, my, my best friend was named Levi, and we got into all kinds of trouble and chaos and fun and adventure together. We had a, a great, great upbringing. And he was kind of a, a thrill seeker of sorts, and so he was never bored. We were never bored. And one day, his family told him that they were going to go see the Grand Canyon. He'd never been. The, the kids and the family had never been. And so he asked, well, what, what is the Grand Canyon? And this was before Instagram and Facebook and pictures being readily available. And so they described to the best of their ability what the Grand Canyon was. Said people from all over the world come to see it. And in essence, it's right here in our backyard. So you're going to love it. We're going to go see it. It's beautiful and amazing. We'll go on this hike. And Levi thought for a little bit in silence. I imagine that in this time, he was kind of thinking through all the opportunities and chaos and mischief he could get into at his house. 
because he knew it would take some time driving to get there and some time driving to get back. And eventually, Levi responds to his mom and said, well, if it's just a hole in the ground with some water at the bottom, why can't we just dig a hole in the backyard and look at it, and then I can keep doing the things that I want to do? His perspective was slightly misguided. This is how we are. We think we understand. We think we have the accurate perspective. We think we've taken all of the different variables into consideration. But often what we feel, what we see right in front of us, what we hear causes us to lose sight of what God's plan is, to lose sight of the fact that God has made promises that he will always be faithful to. Moses was facing a lot. In reality, uh, probably honestly an unbearable amount is what he was facing. But he wasn't alone in it, and he was not the one called to bear it. He was called to put one foot forward in front of the other again and again, recognizing that God would lead him through all of it. Here's the, the main thing we need to understand from this passage. Jesus will never ask us to follow him into something that he cannot caringly and competently lead us through. You will never be asked by our God to walk into something that he cannot caringly and competently lead you through. Which leads us to another uh, idea, if you will. You should never trust somebody that is not both caring and competent. We have a tendency to do that, though. We might choose one or the other for different reasons. Caring without competency gives you a really good feeling at the start, but eventually it ends with a crash and burn. It ends with pain and consequences that you were caused to face alone. Competency without caring, on the other hand, will just leave you used. But we have a tendency to, to make these choices. There's even a, a tendency in our humanity sometimes to accept, to tolerate abuse because there's some level of comfort and familiarity. There's some type of tiny little tidbit of good provided from the abuser that causes us to return to the one that's only competent but not caring. Or we're so depleted of intimacy that we'll go to someone that cares that isn't competent, even though we know there will be consequences at the end. When I was a kid, I remember my dad would tell us stories of what his childhood was like. And one of my favorites was the story of a time that his two sisters, Lori and Cindy, one older and one younger by a year each way, uh, built a, a treehouse, this fort. And they, they put it together. They engineered it the way they did. They designed it. They thought it was good. Their plan was good. And so then they asked my, my dad, Ty, to go check it out for them. And so he did. I don't know if he was reluctant or excited to do so, but he went and checked out their little tree fort they created for him to check out, and it wasn't built very well, so he fell through the tree fort. The question was, was it on purpose or not? There's really only two options here. Either they didn't care, which is probably my vote, or they weren't competent to build this. Either way, he should not have trusted them, and that's the way it works in our life. And everyone sitting to your left or your right or in front of you or me on the stage or Nate on the stage or Ron on the stage, your family members, the person you trust most in the world, every single one of us has a deficiency of either caring or competency. To get real depressing, 
for just a moment on this beautiful day. There's nobody that you can trust fully except for Jesus. I think we lose sight of this as we follow Jesus. It feels good to go, hey, you know what? One day I get to go to heaven because Jesus was on a cross and I believe in him and he forgives me for my sins. So yay, that's good. And I think we lose sight of the fact that we actually follow a competent king. Not only does he hear, the first four chapters of Exodus are about the fact that God hears and listens and moves into action. The second half now that we're just entering to today, there's this transition, is about the reality that we follow a competent king. Here's where we end in chapter 6, verse 1. Uh, Let me read 522 first, though. Moses goes back to the Lord and asks, Lord, why have you caused trouble for this people? And why did you ever send me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has caused trouble for this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. Maybe there's a hint of a questioning here to God. Are you even capable? Maybe you care. You showed up now after all these years, but are you even capable? And here's God's response. But Yahweh replied to Moses, Now you are going to see what I will do to Pharaoh. He will let them go because of my strong hands. He will drive them out of his land because of my strong hands. Anytime something's repeated in the scriptures, it's because we're pretty dull-headed and we're not good at grabbing it. It's because this is something we really need to understand, but we don't. You know why? Because we'd probably prefer on our own to be the ones with the strong hand. We'd probably prefer to have enough faith and righteousness and good deeds or whatever it is, competency, to be enough, and we're not but he is, and he'll never lead us into something. He'll never call you into anything. And the everyday stuff of life, the physical, emotional, relational, vocational, that he's not both competent and caring enough to lead you through. To my encouragement today, we started with 80 seconds representing 80 years. I don't know what the year that you're in looks like. I don't know all of your stories. But I do know whatever he's calling you into today, he is with you, he cares, and he's competent to lead you through. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, I thank you for the kind of God that you are, that you hear our cries, our prayers, our desires. You know what is best for us, and you're competent. You can handle it. You have a strong hand, not a weak hand. You are our support and our strength and our defense. With you, we can be confident, not in ourselves, but in your love for us. Allow us to know that more. Allow us to embrace the call that you've given us. We look to you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks so much for joining us for our first six weeks of summer as we continue our journey through the book of Exodus. And uh, if this is your first time, welcome. Glad that you were able to tune in. Um, If you haven't yet, jump over to restorationaz.org. We'd love to get connected with you, get to know a little bit about you. You can also um, see who we are, what we're about, and um, yeah, begin the journey. And um, if you haven't gotten plugged into a local congregation yet, we just, uh, that's something that we really, really value. Um, And restoration definitely does not need to be the place, but um, for you to get plugged in somewhere, we feel like is really, really important. So um, be prayerful and mindful about that and consider that. And um, yeah. We say this every week, but we mean it. Jesus is the only one who is trustworthy always, no matter the moment. So press on as we continue to practice the way of Jesus.